recording. Got it. Got it. <laughs> you know, should we do a little intro this time? Let's do a little <laughs> intro this time. Okay. Well, well, well. Welcome to Please Bless This Podcast, the podcast where two sisters talk about all things Mormon and pop culture. I'm Elisa, one of the sisters. I'm Katie. I'm the other one. <laughs> That's us. Uh, today, I'm excited about today. Today, we're talking about the Netflix documentary miniseries, Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. Ooh, this was a, <laughs> this was a heavy watch. Yeah. Um, it, a heavy watch. Also, I blew through it like yeah. a- like a box box of popsicles i just sat there and it just let it melt over me yep i watched it in one sitting um my husband about five minutes in was like what is this (laughs) yeah what are we doing here today Mm -hmm. um and i was yeah immediately hooked and horrified by everything going on yeah so let me let me give a little background on this show just a tiny bit so um like i said uh, it's a documentary miniseries released on Netflix June 2022. So it just came out. I think a couple interesting things of note. One is that the director, Rachel Dredson, is a woman. And I think that that is definitely reflected in like what's being explored in this particular miniseries i think there's a lot of directions you you could go making a documentary miniseries about the fundamentalist mormons and she's really looking at it from the perspective of these like women and girls who are who are caught up in this group so that's jumping ahead a little bit but i think it's really relevant so this miniseries um explores life in the fundamentalist church of jesus christ of latter-day saints which is an offshoot of mainstream mormonism it's one of many offshoots of mainstream mormonism and they are polygamous it's a polygamous group and yeah i mean i think that's kind of the basics of what you need to know i will say too um when i first heard the title of the documentary was keep sweet pray and obey i thought that was kind of weird me too it seemed like a sort of weird title for what the subject matter is but then like i said i think that the miniseries really focuses on the experiences of of these women and these girls and that title actually is sort of perfect because Mm -hmm. that is like they're the mantra for women in the flds community yeah. Um they there's even one like super super creepy clip where you hear them singing a song which about that's called like keep sweet and that was just that's like what FLDS women are taught you need to keep sweet be sweet pray obey your husbands mm-hmm. and you'll be happy and that's all and that's all yeah not to jump ahead to the best Please. part of the whole uh series but speaking of singing Warren Jeff's singing voice. <laughs> I actually made a note that I was going to try to come up with a good Warren Jeff's impression. Oh wow. Before recording and I forgot. Uh, so sorry uh. everybody. I <laughs> I dropped the ball on that one. But what a maybe weird, one I mean, day. Yeah, maybe one day. I'll work on it. Yeah, such a such a distinctive voice that Warren Jeff yeah, has. He really like 
puts on like almost a fancy Mm -hmm. like he's got a little bit of something fancy going on (laughs) but it's also just very utah but a little bit fancy (laughs) honestly i I think you pretty much nailed it (laughs) sorry that was i scared myself yeah that gave me creeps man (laughs) (laughs) okay so i feel like before we dig into the miniseries itself let's talk about the flds you want me to tell you all about i want to know mormons okay i thought i knew i thought i basically knew this about this community because you know growing up in the church Mm -hmm. we were aware of these like polygamous sects and flds in particular Mm -hmm. but i just didn't know anything it turns out yeah man oh man i knew nothing (laughs) yeah until this last week right (laughs) yeah yeah and so much that obviously the documentary doesn't really go into because i think they did try to kind of keep separate the flds or fundamentalists in general and mainstream mormons Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of uh, connections there there sure are so let's get into it so mormon i'm sorry (laughs) i can't stop laughing at the warren jeff's impression it's like swirling in my mind and my skin is crawling should i try to (laughs) no do the impression for the rest of no okay um so mormon splinter group started forming pretty much as soon as joseph smith died um but mormon fundamentalism was pretty much born um when polygamy was outlawed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. people were like not into that Mm -hmm. you know john taylor had a so-called revelation in 1886 that is and and time out john taylor's the third president of the mormon church correct so john taylor the third, john taylor john taylor he had a so-called revelation from god in 1886 that is not canonized by the church which basically affirmed polygamy and said that you need to continue to practice polygamy in order to enter into god's glory mm-hmm. and so according to fundamentalist legend broad fundamentalist legend uh john taylor was said to have set apart five men to carry on with polygamy now being set apart basically means it's like a special priesthood blessing that's given to people when they receive a calling in the church Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and this is legend this is not necessarily true although why not one of these men who he set apart was named john c woolley Mm -hmm. who is known as the father of fundamentalism Mm -hmm. john's son lauren was also set apart by jt Uh, would go on to form the Council of Friends, one of the Mm -hmm. first fundamentalist groups. What a weird name for uh, (laughs) a religious sect. Totally. What a weird name and like very Mormon sounding. Very Mormon sounding. Can I say too, I read a little bit of John C. Woolley's history Mm -hmm. and he not only claims to have been ordained to carry on polygamy, he mm-hmm. claims to have been sitting outside the room the night John Taylor received the revelation in 1886 mm-hmm. and like hearing voices and seeing a bright light under the door. And then he talks about like the next day when John Taylor told everybody about 
the revelation how John Taylor was like levitating off the ground naturally. I mean, this is this is serious stuff. Yeah. Serious hardcore Mormon revelation. Yeah. And um, those voices he claims he heard were like Jesus Christ. Yeah. And and the ghost of Joseph Smith. Wow. Yeah. Powerful. Powerful. Okay, so go on. Convenient. Yes. <laughs> sure. Sure. Near the end of Wooly the Younger's uh, life, he extended the priesthood blessings that he may have received from John Taylor to seven of his council of friends. Mm-hmm. And they like splintered off into, into the abyss and created all these different sects of fundamentalism. Now, this is in the 1930s at this point. Mm-hmm. So some time has gone on. Some people have been practicing polygamy. A lot of people have been practicing polygamy still within the church. Like, yeah, lots you of know, secret polygamists. You read about like Rule and Jeff's family history mm-hmm. with fundamentalism. They were fundamentalists, but they were LDS. They yeah. went to LDS church. He went on Rule and Jeff's went on a Mormon mission. He went on a Mormon mission. He actually used a different last name for the first like 10 years of his life in order Mm -hmm. to conceal the fact that his dad was a polygamist or something. Maybe he was pretending he had a different dad, Mm -hmm. something like that. So they were trying to stay within the LDS church. And that's an impression that I get kind of throughout my research is that I feel like a lot of people within fundamentalism really were like waiting for the church to come around to catch up. Right. Yes. And that is not the impression of fundamentalism I had growing up in the mainstream church. It was just that these were these like wackos over here who really had nothing to do with us. Right. When like they were among us, they were a part of us. Yeah. And they really thought, man, they were like, one of these days, the church is going to come around. Maybe a new prophet's going to be called and they're going to be the one, Mm -hmm. you know who brings polygamy back into the situation. Yes. And I think too, if you're listening to this and you're like, who would believe these things and like be persuaded by such like outlandish claims or even that like John Taylor story about him, like levitating off the ground and having the bright light. Um, who would be convinced by that? Every Mormon you've ever met, because yep. those are the kinds of stories that Mormons are taught about our own history, about Joseph Smith, about Brigham Young. Like these were things that we were taught were just happening. Yeah. And, you know, even the outlandish stuff aside, Mormons have a really good way of twisting things and like kind of muddying things down until they're palatable. Mm -hmm. You know, like when you think about how we were taught um about polygamy in general and why polygamy was put in place like we were just taught that mormons were polygamist because uh there was there weren't enough men and there were too many women there were too many women and children and they needed to be taken care of and so these men were like well i will take on multiple wives to support these sisters in the church right just nonsense yeah. I mean, that's how it was justified to us growing up for sure. Yeah. And you were raised to kind of have to be wary of like modern polygamists, obviously, mm-hmm. but have a bit of an apologist view of early polygamy in the church. For sure. I mean, our great, great, great grandparents were polygamists. Yeah. I think our great, great grandparents were polygamists. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't far removed. No. 
So you have to be a little bit sympathetic mm-hmm. because it's your people. Yeah, it's your you people. Know? I mean, you don't have to be. I'm not sympathetic anymore. But if you want to be, <laughs> you know, within all in kosher within mm-hmm. the fold. All right. What else? Let's get into it. So that group of seven that Lauren C. Woolley uh, passed his priesthood blessings of polygamy onto splintered off into four main fundamentalist sects. Uh, the Latter-day Church of Christ, the Apostolic United Brethren, the FLDS, or the Short Creek Community, mm-hmm. um, and the Church of the Firstborn of the Fullness of Times, which is the Mexican uh, colony. fundamentalist colony, Yeah, which I think is where Mitt Romney's ancestors come into play. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't realized until today that Mitt Romney's dad was born in the Mexican colony, the Mormon Mexican colony. Yeah. And I think according to what I've read online, they didn't, his grand, Romney's like grandparents, and I don't even think his great grandparents practiced polygamy, but I don't know for sure. And I don't trust the internet. Sure. It's actually kind of hard for me to find very much about which like Mormon colony they lived in like i knew they were like kind of in chihuahua which makes me assume it's this group but i feel like mitt romney had all that info scrubbed from the internet (laughs) to make himself more palatable as a presidential candidate right i mean yeah who knows but that's but what whenever polygamy stopped being a part of his family practice to have that to have like come from a colony that was created because your family and wanted to continue practicing polygamy when it became illegal in the United States and in the when it became disallowed by the Mormon church. I mean, that is quite a legacy to inherit. Yeah, absolutely. A very peculiar Mormon heritage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not common. Not common. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. that's why we don't know about it as people who are ex-mormon even we are like wait what yeah the mormons in mexico the fundamentalist mormons in mexico interesting interesting and in canada which i won't really go into but in bc the bountiful sect yeah yeah which i think splintered off there's so many splinter groups because it would basically be like oh, this one fundamentalist group lives in harmony and then their leader dies and it gets more authoritarian uh, upon the next president's entrance. Like they're just way more authoritarian. And then a splinter group goes off because they Mm -hmm. don't like it. And then more and more and more and more. But some people stick around because they're into that. And one thing too is like um, this revelation that John Taylor had in 1886 was that the mainstream Mormon church was going to kind of fall away mm-hmm. um, when they denied polygamy. Mm-hmm. And then one mighty and strong, that phrase, one mighty and strong would come, would arise to sort of bring the church back to the truth. Right. And so there have been all of these men over time who are like, oh, it's me. I'm the one. And that does tie back into our discussion in the last episode about Under the Banner of Heaven, because that was sort of the argument of that splinter group that the Lafferty's were in, 
was that mm-hmm. there was one mighty and strong in that group mm-hmm. and um they were gonna lead the people to the truth right whether even if it meant killing people along the way and that's what it's all about it's about some guy wanting to be the one mighty and strong mm-hmm. yep uh, and repeat across the map mm-hmm. and like we've talked about before this episode i mean that's kind of a plague amongst men in general in all walks of life but especially in the church Mm -hmm. men who think and who like walk amongst you in your ward who then go home and have their own scripture study and they um, have their own revelation Mm -hmm. and they think that they are you know they need to tack on an extra wife and that Mm -hmm. they're the chosen one and yeah. And that's just, and that's just Joe Schmo down the street mowing yes. his lawn. So this is leading us right into some of the kind of key things we want to talk about in this episode, which are like what one thing that stood out to me while watching this miniseries <clears throat> um, was as a person who grew up in the mainstream Mormon church was that this group that I had always thought of as so separate from me and my culture and my experience was not that separate Mm -hmm. and not that different. And that these boundaries between us were really thin and fuzzy and wobbly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And um, so we, we thought about a few ways that that kind of showed up for us. And this, the, the first way we came up with was exactly what you're talking about, Katie, this like, the way that um, hardcore patriarchal groups are kind of set up to um, to support men radicalizing themselves in this way. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you tell men that they have the power of God, ultimate like authority on earth that they are, you know, the best people that there are, they're the most blessed, the most gifted, the most capable. You put them in charge of everything in their sphere. Yeah. Um, in particular, their wives and their children. Mm-hmm. And then you just, and you tell them you can receive revelation not about everything. Um, and you are, you know, like very specifically positioned to receive it for the people in your life. And then you let them loose. <laughs> Things get crazy. Yeah. And, and stuff let's like add this on top happens. of it. These men are not extraordinary. They are mediocre. Mm-hmm. They are not brilliant. No. They're not enlightened. They're not spiritual people, honestly. Like like your average mormon man especially doesn't have these like great spiritual tools that like really connect him with other people and like with life and with experience and truth and you know with the ability to guide people mm-hmm. they have words they have the priesthood mm-hmm. which feels like power it's nonsense but it feels like power so it's really dangerous yeah. but in reality these people have like nothing they have delusion and Mm. nonsense i can see what you mean there because like every man within mormonism is given this like very overinflated sense of their own power and importance um it's true that like most 
men who are leaders within the church are not like spiritual leaders. No. Who people would follow without the structures of the church giving them positions that are followed. Like they're just like very regular run of the mill people. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Who are not like particularly spiritual, particularly inspiring, particularly enlightened. Mm-hmm. In a less like all-encompassing sort of church environment, these men would just be congregants. Mm-hmm. But in Mormonism, they are all given a higher position of power. Mm-hmm. And it's concerning. Yeah. And like... um one thing we had talked about was the number of men we're aware of just through our own experience in mainstream Mormonism, the number of men we know of who claim to have received some revelation that they needed to start practicing polygamy. Yeah. And I could think of multiple just off the top of my head, casually remembering back and the, and keep in mind that these are people who would have to be doing this in secret to maintain a connection to Mormonism um, and because of the laws of the country, and yet we know of more of multiple, right? That's just how we know common people it who is. have tried. <laughs> like, th- it makes you think. Like, how many people are out there, just like Rulon Jeff's parents in the way back in days? How many people are doing that today? Wild, totally. So, not that far removed from. Mormonism and like there are other ways this shows up in Mormonism too not just in men being like I'm gonna be polygamous now but in men just asserting power in other ways based purely on the position they've been given in this patriarchal society and it's it's incredibly problematic (laughs) incredibly problematic um Another way we were thinking about our own experiences within mainstream Mormonism and how closely they align with what was depicted in this um, docuseries is the the title itself, Keep Sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it made me think about all the messaging I received growing up as a girl in Mormonism mm-hmm. about the importance of like sweetness, gentleness, um, just being submissive basically um also that my like value as a person was in becoming a wife and a mother and having children and nurturing them sweetly Mm -hmm. and and supporting my husband and that was the measure of a a mormon woman's life yep um And a couple of things came to mind when I thought about that. One was how when I was in like high school and college, we would make fun of the way women in the church spoke Mm -hmm. because um, women who were leaders in like our local congregation, but particularly who were leaders in the church more broadly, when they would give like talks in church, they would put on this like high pitched Mm -hmm. version of their voices and adopt this cadence that we called relief society voice. Yep. Which is the organization for women in the church. And I, I want you to do an impression of it. If okay. you can, I was just going to say the impression. Do you want me to do it? Yes, please, please don't make me sing. Um, no, what no. should I say? Um, brothers and sisters. <laughs> I that's all I can think of. 
<laughs> yeah. Imagine yeah. that. We want to thank you for joining us here today <laughs> on this and- beautiful Sunday afternoon. <laughs> that was how all women spoke. You would like it, it, you noticed it from a young age, right? Like our your own like friends' moms who you heard talking to normally would get up and as soon as they were in front of a microphone, suddenly their voice changed. Mm-hmm. And it was this sweeter version of themselves. Yeah. So it made me think about <clears throat> other kinds of messaging we were receiving growing up about being sweet mm-hmm. and feminine mm-hmm. and that being our true like purpose as women. And I just did like a sort of casual search of talks from LDS leaders over, mm-hmm. you know, the last several decades. And there are so many quotes I could pull, but I found like a handful that I found particularly egregious. Okay. <laughs> that I just wanted to share. So um, the first is uh, from M. Russell Ballard. He was a, an apostle in the church when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. And in 2015, he gave a talk to young unmarried Mormons. And he said to the young ladies, don't wander around looking like men. Put on a little lipstick now and then and look a little charming. It's that simple. Now, to be fair, it was 2015. The church is aware enough of like the backlash that a statement like that is going to get that they did remove that Mm -hmm. talk almost immediately from their website after the backlash started coming in. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that this isn't you know, the standard messaging that women in the church are getting. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's horrifying, but it's not surprising. No. And also, it's advice I've gotten in other areas of my life, too. Oh, yeah. It's just being a woman. But on a little, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I can think of so many, like, older men who've passed me in public and been like, can you smile for me? It's that yeah. same idea. Oh, yeah. It's right? the same idea. Smile for me. Put on a little lipstick. It's that simple. It's that simple. It reminds me of um, EFY, which is especially for youth, which is the like Mormon summer camp, summer camp that you do when you're Mormon. And uh, at EFY, there are a couple of dances, usually over the course of the program. And I remember at the first one, we were like, as the girls in our group, we were instructed by a woman on how to attract a guy to ask us to dance. And I don't remember everything that they said, but it was just like a little bit of that. It was like a lot of that, you know, put on some lipstick, whatever. It's Mm -hmm. that simple, but it was also like stand apart from the group Mm -hmm. with like confidence, make make yourself make eye contact, be like a zebra. They said something like that. What? Like as if the men are lions. Ew, what? Yeah. They're going to devour you? Like like I'm trying to get devoured by a 14-year-old boy. Like you're bait for lions? Yes. Yikes. (laughs) I remember being told to bat my eyelashes. That was an actual strategy. That's a good Um, one. Let me go on, please. Yes, yes, yes. So James E. Faust, who before he passed away was like in the first presidency of the church, um, which is one step removed from like being the prophet. 
he gave multiple talks about women's femininity. He was very preoccupied about women being more feminine. Um, and I pulled some quotes from a talk he gave in 1996, but also in 2000. Um, oh gosh, I don't even, it's so bad. Um, you cannot imagine the gifts and talents each of you has, young ladies. All women have appealing features. I do not refer to model type appeal, but rather that which comes from your personality, your attitude, your expressions. I urge you to enhance the natural God-given feminine gifts with which you have been so richly blessed. None of you should be so content that you cease to care about how you look or act. In his day, President Brigham Young encouraged women to get an education. This is still good counsel, but I hasten to add, in all you're getting, do not lose your sweet femininity. Because apparently, like, education and femininity are at odds. They are. That was in the year 1996. 1996. Okay, 2000. 2000, he says. Hit me. In in the movie My Fair Lady, Professor Higgins poses the question, why can't a woman be more like a man? And then he's like, what a horrible idea. (laughs) Nothing could be worse. And then he repeats, he says again a lot of what he said in 1996. Don't you realize your sublime gifts of femininity with your natural grace, goodness, and divinity? He says, femininity is not just lipstick, stylish hairdos, and trendy clothes, though, of course, it is partly that, right? It's mostly that. Um, it is the divine adornment of humanity. It finds expression in your in um, your qualities of your capacity to love, spirituality, delicacy, radiance, sensitivity, creativity, Whoa. charm, graciousness, gentleness, right. dignity, down. and my favorite, quiet strength. Keep that strength <laughs> quiet, ladies. Yes. Ah. And Keep then it in he your says, pants, buddy. <laughs> then he says, one of your particular gifts is your feminine intuition. As you seek to know the will of your uh of our Heavenly Father in your life and become more spiritual, you will be far more attractive, even irresistible. Ooh. You can use your smiling loveliness to bless those you love and all you meet and spread great joy i mean like what is this what is this i can't decide if he's obsessed with women or if he hates them i think both can be true at the same time (laughs) and i think we're seeing it play out here (laughs) and like clearly like he's this is all operating under the assumption that like the most important thing for a woman is to be attractive yeah. And like, how can I be the most attractive? Well, I can harness my inner beauty and radiance and gentleness and quiet strength. And that will make me irresistible. But also irresistible. put on a little makeup. It's not that hard. Can I read you one more? This is the, this is the one that really sent me. Okay. And it's a little older. It's from 1975. I do think church PR has gotten better at holding some of this back. Mm-hmm. But I just, it's just so ingrained in Mormon culture and and like American culture sure. in general in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But woo. Okay. Like, <clears throat> when I was reading this, I was thinking 1975, this is the training our dad received. Like every bishop we ever had. Yeah. Every man we knew in the church. This is what they were taught. Ugh. So this is Von J. Featherstone, April 1975, speaking at the priesthood session of general conference. So to all the men. Mm. He's And the talk is called a self-inflicted purging. And a lot of it is about like pornography and masturbation. So Mm -hmm. 
keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> it's a real roller coaster of a talk. He says, an overweight girl from Ogden went to see her bishop. Already, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm going to be sick. <laughs> I know. In the purity and goodness of charity, trying to help the girl, the bishop counseled her that it might be a good idea to lose a few pounds. Pitifully heartbroken, she went home and told her father. It had cankered her soul. The father, of course, negative towards the church all his life and waiting for something like this, sprung like a cat on the bishop's back. And they came down to see me and wanted their memberships transferred out of the bishop's ward. I asked them why, because I didn't know all this background. And they said, well, our bishop suggested to our daughter that she might lose a few pounds and make herself a little more attractive. Now, I want you to know that I defended that great bishop. I said to this family, you are wrong. That sweet bishop, out of purity and love for your daughter, <laughs> felt and did that which he was impressed to do. <laughs> she can barely even read it. I am sure it was a message from God to your daughter, and she let it canker her soul. Oh, here's the best part. The strange thing is that she was probably up in her room the night before praying, Heavenly Father, I'm lonely. I need someone. Please help me. Help me find someone so I won't be so lonely. And yet oftentimes we are offended because a sweet bishop gives us some instruction, which is hard for us to live. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about it. It's so bad. I'm completely lost. Yeah. I'm lost in the, in the world of the words that you just read to me. <laughs> I am the girl. Uh, yep. I mean, I... I truly was this girl yeah. growing up in the church and where I was told, like, no one's going to love you. No one's going to marry you if you don't lose some weight because, mm. like, that's what love is and that's what attractiveness oh. is, is being this, like, physical ideal and, like, you're not there. And if, you, and if no one's going to love you and marry you, like, that's a fate worse than death. And why on earth was this message being given to the men? It's right. no wonder. Mm -hmm. It's no wonder that men in the church are the way that they are. Yes. When this is the way you're talking about the authority of a bishop, first of all, that he, that God is telling him to like, tell this poor little girl, like, well, the problem is you and these like few extra pounds that you need to lose. Right. When like, who even knows what she came to see him? I about? know. Yeah. There's all kinds of assumptions being made. But I've got questions. Knows? We don't even know how old she was. We don't know anything. She could have been 14 years old. And he seems to know very little about it, too. But he's so sure. Well, this bishop is sweet and pure and God is working through him. And that's all that's all that you need to know about Mormon men. Yeah, they can do no wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And the expectations are high and bizarre yes yeah anyway that got us on a little bit of a tangent but all of this is to say mm -hmm. the the way that women are controlled and talked to and talked about in the flds sect as portrayed in keep sweet i mean it's so familiar it is yeah throw throw some funny hair on me yeah. And an old timey dress. And it's not that different. It's not that different. Yeah. I was wondering though, while watching that, 
just thinking about the hair and the whole look. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a a commune. This is a cult, a communal cult that's controlled by a man, mm-hmm. and that is the look that he's chosen. I know for right? the wo- for the women. Yeah, it seems less about making them more attractive and more about controlling them. Yeah. I know. And that like, is attractive. Those, right. It's like, some wow, those, look at all these women who are doing their hair so weird just because I said so. Painstakingly. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch videos of them actually doing it, it takes like an hour or two. Yeah. It did make me think about like weird arbitra- arbitrary like rules about appearance too mm-hmm. for Mormon women and girls. Like um, when I was a I think I was in high school when Gordon B. Hinckley said women couldn't have more than one piercing in their ears. Yeah. And that became this big thing. And people who already had multiple piercings were like removing their earrings. And I remember I kind of wanted another one and it was like off the table. No way. Because it would become this huge mark of like disobedience. Mm -hmm. It was about, yeah, like portraying your goodness and femininity and obedience and submissiveness through the number of holes in your ears yeah because that makes sense because that makes sense it's just control mormon women across across sects Mm -hmm. are really uh objectified and also like um dehumanized through idolization it's like, oh, you're so special and perfect and pristine and delicate. And, you know, we just revere you so much, which is why we need to control you so carefully. Did you want to talk too about the FLDS raid and the link to mainstream Mormonism? Yeah, I mean, I remember, and this kind of like ties back into just feeling sympathetic to early polygamists, I think. Um, because in 2008, I was just like 16 years old or something like that. Um, and that's when the raid, um, the FLDS raid happened, uh, where they took all the kids away. And at this point, Warren Jeffs, Jeffs was already in jail. But yeah, I remember watching that coverage with mom and being like super bummed out for those mothers and um it must have been so frightening and we were just really sympathetic and to be fair just straight up taking those kids away like including the babies like it's not a it's not a perfect thing it's a little bit waco but those women are complicit complicit. they are passive or active abusers all Mm -hmm. of them Mm -hmm. and uh they probably shouldn't have their kids in a lot of cases you know you're, if you're willing to let your kid go off to some ranch, you know, and who knows what happens to them and who knows at what age your daughters are getting married off and you can't communicate with them, you're not, you're not parenting them anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, just there were a lot of things that we didn't know back in the day. And mm-hmm. the media coverage on top of it was very sympathetic to the mothers and having them on Larry King and Oprah where they were just allowed to lie mm-hmm. about the circumstances. They got to lie about not knowing of any underage marriages. You know, that wasn't a new thing. Yeah. You know, the underage marriages had been going on. And a lot of those women were 
subjected to underage marriages and yet mm-hmm. here they are defending it and i get it that they are also victims but they're not only victims it just makes me think about uh folks who are active in the lds church the flds church mm-hmm. who who claim you know a sort of righteous position like well i'm not witnessing underage girls being married off to older men or i'm not witnessing this sexual abuse or in mainstream mormonism i'm not witnessing or i've never personally experienced the kind of misogyny that's sort of built into mm-hmm. this patriarchal church or i'm not personally participating in the discrimination of like gay or trans members of the church yeah. If you choose to participate in and support an institution that does those things, it you are complicit. A hundred percent. You just are. I know. That's been the hardest thing for me to sort of reconcile with being out, not for myself, but for the people that I care about who are still in. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I know that they struggle with it. It's, uh, it's hard to watch and it's hard um, to watch <laughs> for sure. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing in the church. Cause you know, they, they say when you have, when you have your doubts, you put them on a shelf, mm-hmm. doubt your doubts, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Right. And I think a lot of the biggest doubts that people deal with in the church are things. Well, for some people are things like, um, the discrimination against LGBTQ people. Um, uh, uh, a very timely one would be ab- abortion. Mm-hmm. And um, you do wonder, as an outsider now looking in, how people's shelves are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, right? I mean, I I am very familiar with the mental gymnastics that active members of the church are doing to sort of justify their ongoing commitment to a faith that is doing real harm in the world and demonstrating real like bigotry Mm -hmm. Um, because I did that for years I was like well you know I don't believe those parts of this culture yeah but how do you just set that aside (laughs) how do you just set that aside and I have to say like letting that go has been the biggest relief because Mm -hmm. my practice now aligns with my like values and my actual beliefs (laughs) right and I feel like there must be a weight on your shoulders of like all the people who also share your your faith Mm -hmm. who have opposing views on those things that really matter to you like Mm. knowing that all your fellow saints um are anti uh, LGBTQ rights, mm-hmm. you know, are anti choice. Mm-hmm. That's exhausting. That's brutal. Yeah. 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 Um, and I know a lot of folks who identify as like progressive practicing Mormons want to believe that the church is making these strides toward inclusivity and, um, like, <laughs> like resolving some of the harm that's been done and they're like well let me you know sort of fix it from the inside and be a part of that change and I just think that's a recipe for a miserable life yeah for sure 
I know women who think that women should be able to hold the priesthood. Not that I don't think that in the ideal religion, women shouldn't be equal to men, but I don't see that happening in no. the Mormon church. No. You know, like, let's get real. That's not yeah. the church you're in. Right. You know, and that sucks. But like, you have got to deal with that. You got to accept that at some point. Yeah. And how much of your life are you willing to give waiting? Mm-hmm. That is my biggest regret in my whole life is that I lost so much time trying to fit into this religion that just wasn't for me that just didn't align with like who I am and how I see the world and how I think people should be treated Mm -hmm. yeah it's just not worth it no not at all um, which brings us back around to keep sweet, pray and obey. I wanted to, I, I looked at an interview that the director, Rachel Dretzen did about the docuseries. And she talked about, um, how courageous and miraculous it is that these women who are being interviewed in the, in the series left, mm-hmm. especially when you see like how much conditioning, and control was baked into their experience it's truly incredible it's incredible that they Mm -hmm. got out right and we've talked about like seeing um more and more these like former flds women on tiktok yeah and they're talking about their experience leaving and how much happier and freer they are and i think that's amazing it's amazing when you compare them to their mothers who were the ones lying on Larry King and Oprah, mm-hmm. you know, doing anything right. they could to defend uh, Warren Jeffs and to try to just keep it all together. And now their mm-hmm. daughters are the ones on TikTok dancing in their in their full FLDS regalia and giving hair tutorials, mm-hmm. you know, and and telling stories. I think one thing that that is making me think about is how like sometimes you can watch you could we could very easily watch keep sweet pray and obey and just feel so superior to everybody in it mm-hmm. um and sort of look at it as this like spectacle that mm-hmm. we sort of like condescend to and I think it's really important to recognize that these are like real people mm-hmm. and also that they're real people who were conditioned to accept a way of life that we see as strange and mm-hmm. unbelievable. That for them, that was like just what life was. It's just everything. And they, at the end of the day, are so few degrees away from us. Yes. So this is another quote from the director that I loved. She said, Um, That in the process of making this series, I started to realize these women are just like us. They were born into a very different society, but it was really revelatory to realize that if I had been born into this society, I would function very similarly to the way they did. That was like far and away the impression I had watching this was like, this is so familiar and I mm. see how I behaved within the like system I was brought up in. And now that I see it from the outside, I'm like, oh my goodness, how did I ever? 
And it's just not that different. Right. Just like how in mainstream Mormonism, there are people who are just ready to get out. Like I was so ready to get out when I reached Mm -hmm. adulthood. I was like, there is no way I am out. And then there are some people who that the thought wouldn't even cross their mind. Mm -hmm. They are just so in, you know, and I, I think the same goes within fundamentalism, you know, where there's one person who is like totally freaked out and afraid and out. There are plenty who like the programming worked better Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they're ready to stick it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, if one of our ancestors had just like decided to keep practicing polygamy it could have been taken it could have been us right there was a polygamous colony colony in the town next to the town our dad grew up in yeah seven miles away seven miles away could have been us and thank goodness (laughs) yeah oh thanks gramps thanks for not being a polygamist yeah (laughs) well on that note (laughs) what a great Uh, what a great series that was like i just loved it Uh uh-huh yeah me too um it led to some really funny conversations between luke and me we definitely were talking a lot about um like polygamous scenarios within our own marriage Mm -hmm. um quickly the thought of having multiple wives was shot down he was like i can't even talk about this it sounds terrible but we came up with a good scenario for me Uh uh-huh an alternate universe gender swapped polygamy scenario where um i have four husbands and they all work like they all go work (laughs) and we just have a big house and like a big compound and i have four like let's say four super hot husbands who have Mm -hmm. like a wide variety of jobs but they all work the same hours oh nice so i get a lot of you time yeah, I get to be home alone for like eight or nine hours, and then I just alternate who I'm sleeping with, and and plenty of money is rolling in, and we're all rich. That's the <laughs> thing. See, that's where Luke was like, "I'm interested." Yeah, you know? I mean, if or if Mormonism hadn't been started by a bunch of men who just wanted to have sex with underage girls, things could have been so different. Hey, there's still time. <laughs> oh my gosh, ladies. Stop. Ladies, rise up. Come on. <laughs> Let's take it back. And on that note. And on that note. Thanks so much for listening. Please come back next time. Please come back next time. And please bless this podcast. Please. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>